All right, so we're in Genesis chapter 25, and what we're going to be seeing in this chapter is really the uh, beginning uh, or the origin of two nations, and that is Israel and Edom. And I, I call this message the beginning of the battle of Israel and Edom, because we're going to see a conflict be, that begins in a womb, and the conflict is still going on to this day. It's kind of an interesting thing. But let's go ahead and start reading in verse 1 and just point out some very interesting things about this chapter. So notice it says in verse 1, Then again, Abraham took a wife, and named her, and her name was Keturah. And she bare him Zimran, and Jokshan, and Medan, and Midian, and Ishbak, and Shua, and Leumim, and the sons of Midian, Ephah, and Epher, and Hanak, Abida, Eldah, all these were the children of Keturah. And Abraham gave all that he had unto Isaac, but unto the sons of the concubines which Abraham had, Abraham gave gifts and sent them away from Isaac, his son, while he yet lived eastward unto the next country. Now, there's a few things I want to point out here that hopefully will help you understand a few things about the Bible when you're studying it. So first off, notice in verse 1, it says Abraham took a wife. Okay, So Keturah is Abraham's wife, but then, and it names her the sons that he had with her, but then in verse 6, it says, but under the, the sons of the concubines, which Abraham had. So here it's talking about concubines. Does this mean that there was other women besides you know, Keturah? No, what this is, what I personally believe we're seeing right here, and what I personally believe a concubine was, was basically a concubine was a wife, but it was like a lower-ranking wife, you could say. You know, some say she was just like a living girlfriend or something like that. But it was, I do believe it was a little more than that, because in 1 Chronicles, in 1 verse 32, notice what it says. It says, now the sons of Keturah, Abraham's concubine, Shebarim, Zimran, Jokshan, Medan, Midian, Ishbak, Shua, it goes on. So in Genesis, it refers to her first as his wife, but then later it mentions the concubines, and then in 1 Chronicles, it doesn't call her a wife, it calls her a concubine. And the reason I do believe it's uh, kind of a lower rank is to also King Solomon. We know King Solomon had a bunch of wives and concubines, and it says in 1 Kings 11.3, and he had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines, and his wives turned away his heart. So notice how it mentions he had 700 wives, princesses, but then he also had 300 concubines. So you say, what in the world is a guy going to do with a thousand wives? Well, a lot of it, I believe, for a king back then, it was kind of a status thing. You know, it's a good way to, uh, you know, maybe make peace in other kingdoms, you know, if you kind of intermarry. And so maybe some other nations came along and it's like, hey, you know, we've got, you know, the king had a beautiful daughter and he's thinking, you know, the king will want her as a wife and then he's never going to want to attack me. So he would maybe marry these women as wives that would help him out politically, and he would give them a title of princess. But then maybe there was other women that he wanted for servants, maybe to take care of the other wives and other things. Or maybe they were women that he just thought was really beautiful, that he just wanted. But at the same time, too, they had no place of nobility. They had There was nothing to gain politically from these women. And so they would just kind of, he would take them, but they kind of had a lower rank and was just a concubine. And we see that's how it was with Abraham and with, you know, Sarah was obviously his main wife. 
the one that he loved the most, the one that he cared about the most. Um, the son that was born from Abraham was the heir. And so notice when uh, Abraham how it mentions that how he sent his other sons all away from Isaac, he gave him gifts, but everything he had belonged to Isaac. Why? Because Isaac was the heir. And this is something that we don't think about these days because we live in a different world now and we live in a different country. But back then, your heir... You know, you were, they, these people were trying to build nations, is what they were doing. Abraham's looking for a land. Abraham is also someone with great possessions, and he's wanting to leave an inheritance. The one who's going to kind of carry on the name, you know, so they'll be remembered. That was kind of the important one. And so the child that was born through the wife that was loved was often favored. And that's why, too, later on in the law... When they're given the law, it's talking about if a man have one wife and one's loved and the other one's hated, if the firstborn comes from the hated wife, he's still the firstborn. They had to add that in there. Because sometimes these guys would just get extra women so they could have extra kids because that's going to help you grow your nation, isn't it? I mean, if you were trying to grow a nation, if you were farming animals, if you needed a good, strong army, wouldn't it help if you had a whole bunch of kids? You know, but we live in the American system today where it's all about buying televisions and cars and toys and things like that. And kids just take away from that, don't they? Kids take away, you can't buy as much stuff, you know, when you've got a whole bunch of kids. But, you know, back then, when they were trying to build things, when they were trying to possess land, they wanted as many kids as they could possibly get so they could subdue that land and it would become theirs. But today in the United States, we can't even subdue the land, can we? You know, we can't even we can't even go buy some place and make our own laws. You know, I mean, you can to a certain extent. We got to pay taxes on everything we own, don't we? You know, and truth is, you know, there's still a lot of land out there that nothing's going on at. We ought to be able to go subdue it and start our own town. As far as I'm concerned, you know, we could implement Leviticus 20:13 and things like that. You know, that we ought to be able to do that. But you know, we can't. We live in a different world. It's not like that in our country. But I'm showing you all this show how this stuff's just kind of foreign to us, this mindset. But that's what they did back then. So they like they needed they needed children, and you know your wife, you know one wife's only gonna be able to have so many. So if they can have multiple wives, they're gonna just have more kids. But a lot of times that main wife, she's like, you know, I'm the important one. So they, they had like the lower ranking ones. They were just kind of the concubines. And you say that was a terrible system. Yeah, it was, <laughs> and it didn't work out too good. It didn't work out. It was a, it was a big problem, and we don't need to go back to that. That would be a very very bad thing to do. But you will see that in the Bible sometimes, where they're referred to as wives and concubines. And so a concubine was a wife. It was just kind of a lower ranking one. And say so, you know, feminism would have a fit with that kind of thing. And that's probably one area where they would be right. It's not really a good thing. So the concubines mentioned. In verse 6 would be Hagar and Keturah. And Abraham loved those children. He gave them gifts. But Isaac was the heir. So he sent them away from Isaac. Because that land that God promised Abraham to, it was Isaac was the heir of that. Not Ishmael. Not the children of the concubines. It was Isaac, the child of promise. So in verse 7 says, And these are the days of the years of Abraham's life, which he lived, and hundred and three score and fifteen years. So 175 years. Then Abraham gave up the ghost and died in a good old age, an old man and full of years, and he was gathered 
to his people. So what does that mean to be gathered to your people? That's another phrase we see in the book of Genesis. And I, I think this is interesting, too, because you could say that the, real early on we're showing or we're seeing the afterlife. That, you know, it's you're not done when you die on this earth. I believe this is a reference to him joining his loved ones who are in heaven. He's being gathered to his people. It says in Genesis 15, 15, that God's talking to Abraham here, and it says, And thou shalt go to thy fathers in peace. Thou shalt be buried in a good old age. So he's saying, you're going to go to your fathers in peace. You're going to live a good long life. And that's exactly what Abraham lived. He died in a good old age, just like was prophesied. And he went unto his fathers. That's what it means when he was gathered unto his people. In Matthew 22, verse 31, Jesus speaking, he says, But as touching the resurrection of the dead, have you not read that which was spoken unto you by God, saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And Jesus used this passage proving an afterlife, proving a resurrection to the Sadducees who did not believe in a resurrection. They didn't believe in a spirit. They didn't believe in any of those things. And Jesus used Genesis to prove that. So, I believe that's what it means when it talks about being gathered to his people. It's referring, it's referring to being with them again in the afterlife. So, verse 9 says, And his sons Isaac and Ishmael buried him in the cave of Machpelah, in the field of Ephron, the son of Zoar, the Hittite, which is before Mamre, the field which Abraham purchased of the sons of Heth, there was Abraham buried and Sarah, his wife. And it came to pass after the death of Abraham that God blessed his son Isaac and Isaac dwelt by the well Lahiroi. So one thing that we're going to notice as we uh, see Isaac is we see that blessing that God put on Abraham kind of being transferred to Isaac. Just like God blessed Abraham in a great way and everything that Abraham touched, God blessed anyone who touched Abraham God cursed, we see the same thing happening with Isaac, and then eventually we see the same thing happening with Jacob. Then we see the same thing happening with people like Joseph, and it happens with the children of Israel, and it went all the way, and who did it eventually get passed to? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. Okay? Not the Jews, the so-called Jews over there today. No, that blessing went to Jesus Christ. That was on them. It was on... That blessing was on those people until the seed came. The seed that it was promised to, and that was Jesus Christ. He came, and now it's to us because we are in Christ. Therefore, we are Abraham's seed. But it's, it's, you know, it's worth pointing these things out because this blessing that we're seeing, this is something that's been passed on that we see going through the Scriptures, something that we have today. So it says in verse uh, 12, um, now these are the generations of Ishmael, Abraham's son, whom Hagar the Egyptian, Sarah's handmaid, bare unto Abraham. So what we're about to see here, why it's showing this again, is it's showing the origin of the different nations that were very relevant during the time that this book was written and given to Israel. So it says, and these are the names of the sons of Ishmael by their names, according to their generations, the firstborn of Ishmael, Nebajoth, and Kedar, and Abdiel, and Mibsam, and Mishma, and Duma, and Masa. Uh, Hadar and Tima, Jeter, Naphish, and Kedemah. These are the sons of Ishmael, and these are their names by their towns and by their castles, 
12 princes according to their nation. So notice how each one of these names represents a town, a castle. Why? Because these are different, these are different cities. This is showing the origin of all the different peoples that were there. And there were 12 princes that came from there. And it's kind of interesting too that Ishmael, who represents the Jews, there were 12 princes that came from him, just like there were 12 tribes of the children of Israel. I don't think that's a coincidence. And it's interesting, too, because this was prophesied in Genesis 17, 20. God speaking here. He said, uh, when, you know, Abraham's, he asked God, just, you know, let Ishmael be there. You know, bless Ishmael, whatever. And God said, no, I'm going to give you a son by Sarah. But then God said, in reference to Ishmael, as for Ishmael, I have heard thee. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and will multiply him exceedingly. Twelve princes shall he beget. And I will make him a great nation. So this would be a great promise for Abraham to his son. Because often when we look at the scripture too, we're always just kind of looking for the salvation of people. We make everything in the Bible a lot of times about salvation. But understand, not everything in the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, is about salvation. It's about people groups. It's about nations. It's about survival. When God would tell these nations to repent and to turn from their sins, it wasn't so they could go to heaven. It was so they would survive as a nation. That was why they did that. And it was very important to them that their, you know, that they had a legacy that lived on. And so when God told Abraham, hey, I'm going to bless Ishmael, he's saying, I'm going to bless him in the fact that I am going to make him great. And he was great. He had 12 sons. And those 12 sons all had 12 cities. They became many people also. So God kept his promise to Ishmael. Ishmael was very great. And you know, I... I personally said, again, we just, we don't think far ahead. And maybe too, we don't as much because we don't live as long as they did back then. But imagine if you lived 175 years, you know, wouldn't it be cool having several hundred descendants that you could meet? I'll be talking a little bit about that on Sunday when we're, uh, for Father's Day. But that's one of the things that we see uh, with Joseph in Genesis chapter 50, how uh, he... He got to see uh, Manasseh's children's children of the third generation. He mentions them getting to see them. that was that was a big deal. You know, I hope I live long enough to see a whole bunch of grandkids and even great grandkids. And you know, every great great grandparent I've ever met is always very proud of the fact that they have great great grandkids. They're always excited about that. Okay? I've never met a great great great. I'm sure there's somebody that's got. I'm sure there's a great 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 grandparent somewhere in the world today but i've never met i've never never met one of those that'd be pretty cool especially too if they were all living for the lord and were good people you know they weren't people out just you know hundreds of descendants breaking your heart and embarrassing you all the time you know that's that you know nobody wants that but uh you know we see you know abraham they became many people you know, through just Ishmael and Isaac. And then, you know, we don't even know what those other sons turned into. But anyway, uh, verse 17, look what it says here. And these are the years of the life of Ishmael, 137 years. And he gave up the ghost and died and was gathered unto his people. So if I'm right about what it means to be gathered unto his people, you know what that would mean? That would mean Ishmael was saved too. Now, that's not going to make the Fox News Baptist real happy. They all hate Ishmael. Okay. They ate Ishmael, you know, because he's where the Muslims come from. And he's a wild man. And every man's hand against him and every man's hand against him. But the thing you've got to understand, and it's very important we understand too, is we're about ready to see 
Jacob and Esau. Again, when we look at, when we read this Bible, we make it, especially in the Old Testament and the book of Genesis, we make it all about the individuals, but in reality, the book of Genesis is about the nations. That's what it's focusing on. So that prophecy about Ishmael, it wasn't so much about Ishmael, but it was about his descendants. It was about the nation, you could say. And that, and we're going to see the same thing when it comes to Jacob and Esau, okay? And we'll see more about this later on. But I do believe that Esau was a saved man. They say, but look at all these terrible prophecies about him. You know, look at what it says in Malachi. You know, when it talks about Jacob, I love Esau, I hated. It's talking about the nations. Because even though Esau was a saved man, he did have a lot of problems. But what descended from him, what came from him, was very wicked. And the Edomites were very wicked people. So a lot of these prophecies that we see, a lot of times when God's speaking to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, he's, don't look at it so much as God speaking to the individual it, and what God's saying, being, applying it to the individual, look at the nation that God is referring to. It's very important that we do that if we're going to understand these passages correctly. So verse 18 says, And they dwelt from Havilah unto Shur, that is before Egypt, as thou goest toward Assyria. And he died in the presence of all his brethren. And these are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham begat Isaac. And Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah to wife, the daughter of Bethuel, the Syrian of Pananaram, the sister of Laban, the Syrian. And Isaac entreated the Lord for his wife because she was barren, and the Lord was entreated of him. And Rebekah, his wife, conceived, and the children struggled together within her. And she said, If it be so, why am I thus? And she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said unto her, Two nations are in thy womb, and two banner of people shall be separated from thy bowels, and the one people shall be stronger than the other people, and the elder shall serve the younger. Now, I think this is really interesting because, you know, again, we talked about it last week or the week before, Abraham struggled having children with Sarah, his half-sister. You know, Isaac struggles having uh, children with Rebekah, his second cousin. I don't, I don't think these things are really coincidences, personally. But... She gets pregnant for the first time. So she's, this is her first pregnancy that she's experienced. This is her only pregnancy she's experienced, but she has twins. Now, none of us, none of us men in here know what it's like to have a baby, you know, move around. You have ladies, you know a little bit about it, but, um, she knew, even though this is her first pregnancy, that something's wrong with this pregnancy. She could feel those babies fighting in there, in that womb, which I, I think is interesting and, uh, I don't know if that's a common thing. You know, I, my wife would probably know about this. She's always reading books on pregnancies and things. I can't even imagine anything more boring. But at the same time, uh, you know, is that a common thing? Is that a common thing, Sandra, for women that have twins, for them to fight in the womb? Is that common? Oh. Yeah. I don't know. But she knew something's wrong to the point where she's saying, you know, why is this going on? And she goes to inquire of the Lord. She goes to the Lord asking, hey, something is wrong that's going on in here. And God tells her that two nations are in your womb. So notice, God refers to them as two nations. He's not just saying, hey, you've got two children. No, you've got two nations in there. So what he's saying here, it's not so much about Esau and Jacob, even though 
their relationship, it was a reflection of these nations' relationship, wasn't it? Because was the relationship of Israel and Edom rough? You better believe it was. And you know what? It's still bad to this day. And I might say more about that later. But uh, so God's telling her there's two manner of people that you've got in there. They're going to be separated. The one people shall be stronger than the other people, and the elder shall serve the younger. So this is just my opinion here. It was Rebecca that went and inquired of the Lord about this. We don't see anywhere in the scripture where Isaac was told about this. But Rebecca did know. And we do see that when later on, when it comes time for the blessing, that Isaac intended to bless Esau, didn't he? But Rebekah got Jacob to deceive his father. This very well could be because Rebekah knew that it was supposed to be Jacob. And I'm not saying she like did this great noble thing. We do see that they played favorites, which is a bad thing for parents to do. Okay, Parents, do not play favorites with your kids. It causes problems. It causes problems in the Bible. We see the same, even bigger problems with Jacob, you know, when he played favorites with Joseph. We see what happened as a result of him doing that. But Rebecca very well could have favored Jacob because she knew he was supposed to be the main heir, that he would be the greater, where Isaac kind of favored, you know, Esau because of the fact that he was the firstborn. But it wasn't just that, too. It was just because, we're going to see it in a little bit, it was because he liked the venison. You like that? And that, that's what it mentions, which I think is interesting. But anyway, uh, you know, Rebecca may have always kind of known in her mind that Jacob was supposed to be the heir, so she got him to deceive his father. And so it says in verse 24, And when her days to be delivered were fulfilled, behold, there were twins in her womb, and the first came out red all over like an hairy garment, and they called his name Esau. And after that came his brother out, and his hand took hold on Esau's heel, and his name was called Jacob, and Isaac was threescore years old when she bare them. So it took 20 years of them being married before Rebecca was finally able to have a child. They fought in the womb, and then as soon as they're born, Jacob, as soon as he comes out, he's grabbing his brother's foot. That's just how much your parents, you think your kids fight with each other a lot. Imagine raising Jacob and Esau. Okay? It was just a knockdown drag out. All the time. And so it mentions how they named uh, you know, the one that was red and hairy all over Esau, which one of the definitions I saw on that meant rough. And then Jacob, it actually means supplanter. Okay, And I personally believe one of the reasons they would do these names, I do think it was prophetic. I do think that God kind of helped them name these people because the meanings of their name always had a huge part in how they were with their life. And it's like, why would you name your son Something that means supplanter. But that's what they that's what they did. And it says in verse in uh, Genesis twenty seven, verse thirty six, after Jacob deceives his father and seals the blessing, Esau's talking and he says, And he said, Is not he rightly named Jacob? For he has supplanted me these two times and took away my birthright, and behold, now he hath taken away my blessing, and he said, Hast thou not reserved a blessing for me? So it's kind of interesting thing. Jacob was a tricky fellow. And you know what? When it comes to the fight between Jacob and Esau today, Jacob is a tricky fellow. Israel is a supplanter. 
They are deceivers. You know, you go talk to any Christian today, you go talk to any Fox News Baptist, and you start talking about the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. Okay? And understand, and, and I, this is what I've been told, alright, so if I'm wrong, forgive me for believing what I've been told. I don't really know how they figure all this out. But it's like when it comes to the Israeli-Palestinian, you know, the Israel, Jews and the Muslims and all that, from what I've been told, like the Ishmaelites and the Edomites, they all kind of joined, and so they're all kind of one. So when we're talking about Jacob versus Esau, or you know Isaac versus Ishmael, it's kind of the same thing. Okay. Now, what, biologically, whether or not that's right, I don't know. I really don't care. Spiritually, I do know that Israel is of Esau, that Israel is of Ishmael. I know that for a fact. There's no doubt about that. But any, but anyway, uh, you know, Israel is always tricking everybody. They're always, you know, but you go ask about these conflicts, they'll talk about how horrible the Muslims are and all the terrible things they do. Listen, that's propaganda. That's junk. Israel's always pulling fast ones. They know how to manipulate the media. They, they own the media. And we're being sold a bill of goods in America. Yeah, they're both bad, but Israel's worse. Okay? I, I'm sorry to say that, and that type of thing will make a lot of people mad at me, but facts are facts. Okay? Facts are facts, and Israel fights dirty. End of story. They fight dirty. Yeah, would well, you see these pictures? You know what? It was probably an Israeli state, you know, pretending to be a Palestinian. You, they wouldn't do that. Yeah, they would do that. Listen, Israel's so sneaky, you know what they would do? They're dirty enough to go to their dying, blind father and pretend to be their brother. Oh, they wouldn't pretend to be a Palestinian today. No, they'll pretend to be their brother to deceive their blind, dying father to steal their brother's blessing. Folks, they're doing the same thing today, aren't they? It's the same thing. And these same people say, no, they'd never do that. Well, do you believe this story here in Genesis 25? Okay, listen, this is prophetic what's going on here. This is showing us the future because, again, this is not just about Jacob and Esau. This is about Israel and Edom. Okay, this is about two nations. So, uh, you know, I'm not surprised at what I see. It's the same thing we saw in the Bible. Okay, it's the same thing. And, and I might get into more of this later. I do think... You say, well, wait a minute. I thought we were Israel. But there's a difference too between Jacob and Israel. Okay? We see Jacob doing a lot of shady stuff. And I think Israel, it, you know, God changed his name for a reason. Okay? So when you're kind of looking at Jacob in the Bible, you got to kind of look at that. I might say more about that in a later message. I don't want to spend a lot of time on that. But anyway, so verse 37, back to Genesis 25, says, And the boys grew, and Esau was a cunning hunter a man of the field, and Jacob was a plain man dwelling in tents. And Isaac loved Esau because he did eat of his venison, but Rebekah loved Jacob. That's a terrible reason, just because Esau was a good hunter and Jacob, or Isaac liked the venison. That's why it says he loved him. Okay, in other words, he favored him more, but Rebekah favored Jacob probably because he dwelt in tents. He was around home more. She also knew he was going to be uh, the one that would rule over the older brother. But either way, this was a bad thing. Having favorites with children caused a lot of problems. So it says in verse 29, And Jacob sawed pottage, and Esau came from the field, and he was faint. And Esau said to Jacob, Feed me, I pray thee, with that same red pottage, 
For I am faint, therefore his name uh, was his name called Edom. And that name Edom, it means red, which is interesting because he was red. But then, too, it mentions it here because he wanted that red pottage. And so because of that, he was called Edom. So it would appear this is a nickname, too, because he gave everything up. He gave up his birthright for some soup, for some red pottage. And we'll say more about that in a little. But notice this, too. All right. Some of y'all, in case I lost you on the comparisons of what Israel does or, you know, Jacob did back then to what Israel's doing today that's shady and crooked. Notice this. Esau is hungry. Esau's talking like he's at the point of death. He's got a great need. His brother Jacob has the ability to feed him and help him and take care of him. But what does he do? He strikes a deal with him. Yeah, I'll give you some. Sell me your birthright. You know, what do they say? Give a Jew a hubcap and within six months he'll have a whole car dealership. I shouldn't say something. I'm going to get myself in trouble. I could tell a bunch of jokes along those lines. And I'll only do it from the pulpit. Talk about those after church. But, but hey, are the stereotypes not true? Where did that come from? It came from Jacob. Okay? Constantly pulling fast ones. Okay, now, listen, I've never ran Jews out of any country, but historically, it's happened in a lot of places, hasn't it? Why? Because they're always ripping everybody off. They're always charging unjust usury and things. Who owns all the banks today? Right. Jews do. Listen, you can go talk to, and, and you know where I got, and you know, in case anybody gets mad at me and says I'm anti-Semitic because of my hubcap joke, you know where I heard that from? Bill Grady, the most pro-Jew guy you've ever heard in your life, all right? Nobody loves Israel and Jews more than Bill Grady. I got that from him, okay? So, you know, I, that's another reason I probably shouldn't have said it, but I got it from him. Brian Sharp. Probably the second most pro-Jew guy you'll ever meet. He gives out these Hebrew Bibles. He, he gives them to people and tells them, give it to a Jew. And then he always says, if you don't know any Jews, go to the nearest, uh, the most fancy jewelry store in town and ask to speak to the owner. Trust me, he's a Jew. That's what he always says. And then he'll kind of give some line about all the things that they can accomplish uh, with almost nothing. And uh, you know what? <laughs> Yeah, I got to do it. You know why they wandered in the wilderness 40 years, don't you? One of them lost a quarter. But anyway, uh, you know, they, 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 do, they do some pretty tricky stuff. <laughs> some, some shady tricks. And isn't it, isn't it interesting how it started with Jacob? It started with Jacob. These people descend from Jacob. They are like him. And what are they doing? They're ripping him off. That's what they're doing over in Israel today, too. They're pulling fast ones all the time over there, slowly squeezing these people out of land that they've been in for hundreds and hundreds of years. Choking them out of the land. It's wicked the things that they're doing over there. They'll literally go down there and they will bulldoze their buildings, their apartment buildings that they have, and then they'll start fining them for not getting rid of the rubble quick enough. They just destroy these things, and then when it finally goes to the court system, the judge is always a Jew and always sides with the Jews. They're always pulling fast ones to just take advantage of their brothers. It's a wicked thing that, they, that Jacob did to Esau, and they are still doing that to Esau today. They are still fighting with each other today, just like they were fighting in the womb of Rebekah. I just think that's interesting. And it was like God knew what was going to happen, and there's just something literally in their blood that makes them fight with each other. And it's... and. 
Esau's the rough one. Esau's the scary one. Esau's the you know Jacob. He's the smooth man. You know he's the one that looks good. He's the one that dwells in tents. He's the one that people would rather favor and pay attention to. But he is sneaky as a snake and deceptive, and people are falling for it. They're both they're both bad guys. But I just I, I get really aggravated when I listen to preachers in churches get up and just rip on the Palestinians while acting like the Jews are the victims. Like, really? You think the Jews are the victims? You probably think Jacob's the victim when he stole Esau's birthright. You probably think Jacob's the victim when he stole the blessing from Esau. That's how these people are. It's the exact same thing we're seeing today. But anyway, so Jacob said, sell me this day thy birthright. Seize an opportunity to take advantage of somebody. Esau said, behold, I'm at the point to die. And what, uh, what profit shall this birthright do to me? And Jacob said, swear to me this day. And he swore unto him, and he sold his birthright unto Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and pottage of lentils, and he did eat and drink and rose up and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. So turn over to Hebrews chapter 12. Because this story of Esau selling his birthright. I mean, okay, the firstborn, they were the ones that got the big inheritance. They were... The most important, you know, this is a big thing. Your birthright, it meant a lot in those days. Okay, today in America, we got to treat all the kids equal, don't we? You know, we, you know, when, I, when my parents die, if they have anything to leave behind, it'll probably all get split up five ways, totally equal. Even though I'm the firstborn, I should get double. But, no, but you know, I'm not worried about it. But, you know, back then, it was a big deal. Today, you know, not so much. But it really meant a lot. So th- think about it. Throwing that away for soup. I mean, really, soup? And, he said, and, and when I see this too, I think he's exaggerating here. I think he's being dramatic. I'm at the point of death. Okay? I think he's acting like some of your kids do when they go an extra hour or two without eating and they act like they're going to die. Okay? We've all seen that before. And some of us do it too. Some of us do that. It's like we're, we act like we're really going to die if we don't get something to eat. But... You know, and I don't know what the situation was and what was going on, but I mean, I, I gotta think his mom couldn't have been that far away and he could have got something from her. But maybe she would have had to cook it up where Jacob's already got it there ready to go. And he smells that food and he's like, I've gotta eat it now. Yeah, we've all felt like that before, haven't we? But think about, it. he threw all that away for just a little bit of food that wore out and eventually he got hungry again later. And that, and the Bible talks about that in Hebrews twelve fourteen. It says, "Follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person, as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. For you know how that afterward, when he would have inherited the blessing." He was rejected, for he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. Okay? Now, understand, this repentance he was looking for was not repentance for salvation. He regretted selling his birthright. He wanted his birthright back, but there was no place of repentance. There was no way he was going to get it back, even though he sought it carefully with tears. He's crying about it. He regretted it that much. And in Hebrews here, it's warning us about giving in to the pleasures of sin for something that is so temporary. 
And it mentions specifically fornication. You know how many people throw their lives away for fornication? For just a little moment of pleasure that's not going to last and that's not going to carry them through their life. They will go and throw away everything. Young people, young ladies, young men, they will throw away their purity. They're not able to go to the marriage altar pure. Why? For a little moment of pleasure. It's not worth it. It's not, and you know what? And you can't take it back. After you do something like that, there's some things you just can't take back. You've got, there's been husbands out there, wives out there, committed adultery, ruined a perfectly good marriage for a little moment of pleasure. And they can't take it back. A lot of times the things that people have done that have just destroyed their lives, didn't even bring them the pleasure they thought it would. It wasn't even anything. It, they didn't think it was worth it. They were deceived. And that's what happened here with Esau. And we've got to keep these things in mind because Christians all the time, they will lose their testimony. Maybe over just losing their temper. You know, just one thing. We let our flesh get the best of us. One time, in one situation, we throw everything away. You know, I, if I'm not careful, I can throw away almost 40 years of a good testimony for just one incident. Y'all understand that? I mean, I've been faithfully serving the Lord here at this church for almost nine years. But if I, and I've not done anything illegal. I haven't done anything immoral. But you know what? I could go out tomorrow. I could do one bad thing. And you realize I'm toast. I'm done. I go out there and I, you know, I commit adultery or something. I've ruined a good marriage. I've disqualified myself from being a pastor. I've ruined my reputation and I will never get it back. I go out and I do one shady deal financially. I do one thing wrong financially. Even though I've been honest my whole life, even though I've followed the law my whole life, I do one thing and it gets out in the public, I'm done. It's not going to matter I've done everything right for nine years and it's not going to matter if I continue doing everything right. In the future, everybody's going to remember that one thing. Folks, it's not worth it. It is not worth destroying your testimony, destroying your marriage. These sins that you think will bring you some kind of pleasure, just understand these things, they're deceptive, they're deceiving, and they don't last. And I imagine when Esau was eating that pottage, it probably tasted pretty good. But it didn't last. Within hours, he's hungry again, but all of a sudden now... He's sitting there and he's got a full belly and he has no birthright. It's gone. He's probably thinking, what have I done? And you know how many people have found themselves in that exact same situation as Esau? Just threw it all away for literally nothing. They've sold themselves for naught. We see that happening with Esau. And so Hebrews is warning that. That's why we want to follow peace with all men and holiness. We want to live Holy lives. We don't want to fail the grace of God. God's been good to us. He's been gracious to us. We don't want to fail that. We don't want to go taking advantage of that and getting involved in these sins. It's going to ruin us. That will, that will completely ruin us, destroy every good thing we've ever done. You think about some of the pastors that are out there that have been destroyed because of immorality. And, and you know what? Maybe it was a moment of weakness. You know, there's some things any of us can be tempted with. What's the difference? They just... They made that choice to give in, maybe one time, and they're done. They'll never get it back. I guarantee you there's people out there, you know, that I, I do think a lot of these guys that were like these serial adulterers and things were just scumbag false prophets. 
But I think there's some out there that were probably decent people that just messed up one time. And you know what? They're history. They're done. They are not fit for the ministry. Uh, they should never uh, get another job in a church again. And say, man, it was just one thing. Well, you know what? Just one thing can do a lot of damage. We see that with Esau. Oh, everybody has a right to make a comeback. And no, Esau, he didn't find any place of repentance, even though he sought it carefully with tears. He tried to take it back. There's some things you just can't take back. And Esau is a great example of someone that that we ought, all of us ought to think about. Okay, especially you know young people when it comes to you know the temptations of the flesh, the fornication. You should always think of Esau. He's the example. He said he didn't commit that sin, but it was pretty much the same thing. Just a little bit of physical pleasure that's only temporary. It's only temporary, and he threw it all away. Not worth it. So to summarize Genesis 25, we kind of see the focus going from Abraham to Isaac, and then we start to see how you know we see how Isaac was favored over Ishmael and all Abraham's other sons. He ends up receiving that blessing. God blesses him. The same way he blessed Abraham. And then we also see the beginning of the nations of Israel and Esau. We see Jacob, who is going to be kind of the next you know, chosen one, who's going to receive that blessing. It was crooked how he got it, but he got it anyway. And we, this is kind of the beginning of the process of throwing, overthrowing his older brother. First he got the birthright, and then two chapters later we're going to see where he even steals the blessing. And uh, you know what? Jacob is over there today in Israel trying to steal the blessing from the father, but he's not gonna they're not gonna put one over on God. He can see right through them. He's not God's not blind like Isaac was. God knows the difference between Jacob and Esau, and they're not they're not gonna be able to they're not gonna be able to see him. God knows the difference between Abraham's seed, those who are of faith, those who are of promise, and those who are frauds, those who are antichrist. So some interesting things there. And you know what? You can just say these things are coincidences with the stories of Jacob and Esau and what's going on with Israelis and Palestinians today. I see no coincidence at all. I think you are blind if you can't see these things. And you're just in denial. And a lot of people can't handle that because they hate to admit they've been cheering for the wrong people for a long time. And uh, we don't do that. We're not pro-Palestinian, but we're not pro-Israeli either. They're both wicked people that have been fighting since they were in the womb. So anyway, with that, let's close the word of prayer. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for all your blessings. We uh, thank you for your word and just what an amazing book it is, Lord. And I just pray you'll help us to uh, learn from these things. And uh, Lord, help uh, us to... Uh, not be like Esau, Lord, to just throw away things and do things that are just irreversible for just a little moment of pleasure. I pray you'll just uh, help us to learn from that mistake and heed that warning from your word. In your name we pray. Amen. Well